Everyone, this is OCR Rob welcoming you to another edition of Fever Mickey and Molly Block of Shows and Fever Mickey and Molly. And uh, this episode is from November 11th, 1947, and it's called Army Surplus Raft. It is a classic episode, uh, something that you wouldn't think they could pull off, but they do it very effectively. Just enjoy the episode for what it is. It's really a great show. And after that, it's our Miss Brooks from 1954, October 3rd. And the episode is entitled, Conklin Threatens to Dump Football for the Season. Find out what that's about. And, our, and You Bet Your Life from 1950, January 11th. The secret word is milk. Enjoy all these. I'll see you all back here next week. God willing, Chris Stone writes. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. How would you like to make your kitchen brighter and more cheerful, and at the same time make your housework very much easier? Well, both these things are easy enough to do. All you need, a shining film of Johnson's self-polishing glow coat on your kitchen floor. Glow coat makes your kitchen a more cheerful place to work because the shine it gives is so wonderfully bright. In fact, the new glow coat shine is nearly twice as bright as before. As for making your housework easier, Johnson's glow coat is in a class by itself. There's no rubbing or buffing, so you save time right there. And the tough wax protection saves you hours of work in many other ways. Suppose you do spill something. Or suppose the kids do track in dirt. Never mind. Just wipe with a damp cloth and your kitchen and other floors are clean and nice as before. Yes, you'll like brighter than ever Johnson self-polishing glow coat. Try it. See how wonderful it is to bring out the beauty of the home. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of the see those ads offering to sell you flintlock muskets from the Revolutionary War, or cavalry sabers from the Civil War, or gatling guns from the Spanish-American War, or machine gun tripods from World War I? Well, if you think they had stuff left over from those wars, you should see the stuff they've got now. Step into the Army and Navy surplus store at 14th and Oak Streets, Wistful Vista, with Fibber McGee and Molly. James McGee, just look at all the things, and everything is so cheap. That's right, Tootsie. Military supplies are the only goods in the world that are expensive wholesale and cheap retail. <laughs> it all depends on the demand. I mind one time I was crossing a field and a bull took after me. Yeah. I'd have given $300 for a subway entrance right then. <laughs> Four weeks later, I rode on the subway for a nickel. 
See what I mean? Blind the man. Well, I still don't understand. Hey, here's a bargain. Look at these storm lanterns. Wonderful for storms. Only four dollars. What did they burn? I'll find out. Uh, hey, Bud. You with the toothpick over there. Yes, sir. What kind of fuel do these storm lanterns take? Well, those lanterns burn Mazafrizzi, sir. What on earth is Mazafrizzi? Oh, we don't know, madam. That's an Italian army type lantern, now obsolete. Oh, won't they burn gasoline? Yes, sir, for a brief period. Uh, one of our former salesmen tried it. Oh, what happened? No one knows, madam. His widow was working here as cashier. <laughs> Were you, uh, looking for anything in particular, sir? Yes, but I won't know what it is till I see it. I'm just kind of shopping around, so... You go back and lean against something, huh? If I need you, I'll holler. Yes, sir. I'll be around someplace. Oh, here's the counter marked special this week only, McGee. What are these iron things? Oh, those are caterpillar treads. That's what a tank runs on. It is? Mm-hmm. Well, no wonder Uncle Dennis used to make so much noise going upstairs. No. Oh, you mean army tank. Yeah. <laughs> hey, here's some paratrooper boots that I'll bet would be small. Hold it, McGee. Here comes Mr. Boomer. Hmm? You mean Horatio K. Boomer, the desk sergeant's delight? I wonder who he's doing in here. Be careful, dear. Ah, oh, hello there, Mr. Boomer. <laughs> oh, there, my dear. If it isn't the fair Juliet, the boy with the balcony. <laughs> greetings, greetings. Hi, Boomer. Hey, all the buttons are torn off your top coat. Uh, did you know that? Ah, yes. Rather embarrassing incident was, too. I'm considering a bit of legal action against this emporium for that. What happened, Mr. Boomer? Seems I inadvertently buttoned my overcoat around a half-horsepower electric motor and started to walk away. <laughs> Didn't notice the motor was bolted to the de- to the bench until I was brought up short by a rude jerk. <laughs> That's him over there with a crew haircut. <laughs> Gross negligence plus insufferable rudeness. Gad, sir, I shall write a letter to the Gazette about this. You just here to pick up a few items, Boomer, or are you going to buy something, too? My boy, I resent the implication, although I admire your perspicacity. <laughs> yes, indeed. Matter of fact, I'm just getting an early start on my Christmas shop li- uh, shopping. <clears throat> I have a list here someplace. Now, let me see. Where do I put that Christmas list? list? Ah, what's this? Letter from Deep Freeze Donegan. Deep Freeze Donegan. Yes, Deep Freeze Donegan got his moniker from spending so much time in the cooler. <laughs> Here's a bobby pin. Been trying for years to pin something on a bobby. Small chunk of beeswax, in case I should ever want to wax a bee. <laughs> bottle of nitroglycerin. Good heavens, nitroglycerin. Cleaning fluid, I call it, my dear. Clean out a small bank with this in no time at all. <laughs> Yes, indeed. What's this? Ah, yes. A receipt from the local hoose gal for 30 days I served by mistake. Entitles me to one petty larceny free of charge. <laughs> Here's a black mask. <laughs> Made $800 Halloween night. Playing trick-or-treat with filling stations. <laughs> Here's a check for short beer. Well, well, imagine that. No Christmas list. Maybe you lost it someplace, Boomer. Clever deduction, Sherlock. Very clever. Well, if you'll excuse me, I must be getting along. Sending my brother a birthday cake, and I must get these hacksaw blades to the baker. Farewell, Fig Face. Toodaloo, toodle. Goodbye, Mr. Homer. Now, look, dearie, I have to run across the street to the Bonton before we go home. Why don't you come with me? No, you go ahead, kiddo. Meet me at the car. I want to look around here some more. All right, but don't you go buying anything foolish now. <laughs> Remember, we don't really need 3,000 feet of steel cable. 
Or a demountable corns is hot. Yeah. Pretty as they are. Don't you worry about me, baby. I'll just confine myself to knickknacks. I don't buy anything that I can't carry in my pocket. See you at the car. All right, sweetheart. I won't be more than 15 or 20 minutes. Hey, Joe. Yeah? Uh, the guy's wife has left. Shall we nail him? Yeah. It looks like you can sell him those old torpedo tubes we have laying around here. Or maybe... But you sell a torpedo tube yourself, boy. I'm going to make myself a five-buck bonus. Like the boss said. You mean... Yeah. Them 16-man life rafts. <laughs> we haven't sold one since... Ah, oh, there, mister. Made up your mind? Found anything you like? How about some nice uh, hunting equipment? Hunting? What do you got for a guy that likes to hunt, bud? Mister, I'm glad you asked me that question. I'm quite a hunter myself. Well, now we're getting someplace. Uh, what have you got for duck hunting, bud? You a duck hunter? Well, no. I go more after pigeons. Mm-hmm. But, um... <laughs> if you're a duck hunter, brother, I've got just the thing for you. Uh, now, nothing big now. If it's too big to put in my pocket, you're just wasting your time, but I promise my... <laughs> Billy Mills in the orchestra and a samba arrangement of Come to the Mardi Don't be surprised. Watch it. I'm going to drop it. Heavenly days, McGee. Will you tell me what it is? Sure. Wait till I take the paper off it. There you are. And only $18.65. I have one question. What is it? Yes. Huh? That's the question. What is it? What is it? My goodness, woman. You mean to stand there with your beautiful white forehead wrinkled up like a taxicab fender in Times Square? <laughs> and tell me you don't know a 16-man life raft when you see one? Oh, you'll pardon me if I sit down. Huh? I'm a little overwhelmed by the pure ecstasy. The joy of this occasion. <laughs> a life boat. Oh, gee. <laughs> I'm glad you like it, kiddo. Main reason I bought it is so you could go duck hunting with me and Doc Gamble. Never been room in the boat for you before. 
I'm going to open her out and see what size she is, huh? In here, why, it won't even fit in our living room. Oh, sure it will, I think. Now, let me see. Move that little table against the wall, baby. Yeah. Shall I take the floor lamps out and bury them in the backyard? <laughs> no, we got plenty of room now. How do you inflate it? Huh? With the pump you have in the car, it'll take until August of 1967. <laughs> ah, that's the beauty part of it, Snooky. It inflates itself. Yeah. You see this little cylinder attached to the side here? Yeah. That's full of carbon oxide, uh, carbon oxide, carbon, it's full of gas. <laughs> see? All you gotta do is turn this gadget here. Well, let's see now, the guy told me to turn it to the register. Oh! Hey, hey, What's it doing? Hey, hey, oh! Hey, hey. Run for your life, it's filling the room! plan to use it for duck hunting, but if you really think it looks good in here... No, I... no, no. <laughs> Heavenly day, get it out. Huh? I'm expecting some ladies in for tea at 4.30 now. Oh, my goodness, I hope this isn't them. Come in. Oh, hi, Doc. Hello, Dr. Gamble. <laughs> well, say something, you big droop. Don't just stand there with your eyeballs sticking out like the last two shots on a pinball machine. <laughs> Give the man a chance, McGee. Maybe he isn't used to calling on people who keep life rafts in their living room. A life raft, huh? Yeah. Well, that's quite a relief. I was afraid for a minute the little boy blows bubble gum had gotten out of control. <laughs> Won't you come in, Doctor? How? I'm <laughs> over it, you lazy liniment drippers. Move over, Molly. Let Doc in over the starboard gunnel. No, thanks. No, thanks. I'll just stand here in the doorway with one hand on the knob. One question, Jughead. Hmm? How did you get that thing in here? You didn't slip that slab-sided sloop through the window. <laughs> no, it's self-inflating, Doc. I didn't really intend to blow it up in here, but I guess I must have jiggled the valve, and the first thing we knew, it was flopping around the room like a dying walrus. Yes. <laughs> With company coming at 4.30, too. Come on, McGee. Maybe the doctor will help you get it out of here. Well, that's easy. Just deflate it and drag it out. That, uh, that brings up a rather interesting point, folks. <laughs> I don't know how to deflate it. <laughs> well, I'd like to stay and watch you get out of this one, fumble thumb. But I've got to be at the armory in 15 minutes. The armory, doctor? Oh, this is Armistice Day, isn't it? Yes. Yes, and I'm National Guard surgeon. Oh, that's right. Too bad you're a little too antique for the National Guard, McGee. Huh? A little soldierly exercise and a little less bread might work some of that shortening off Mammy's little baby. <laughs> Look who's talking. 
You carry enough lard yourself to French fry Fink's mule. <laughs> Doctor, I didn't know you were in the National Guard. Are they recruiting now? Oh, yes. A man a minute's our goal for a couple of months. So if you know any young men who want to learn some new skills and make some extra income while working at their regular jobs, send them to the National Guard. Regular Army pay and regular Army instruction. What age is, Doc? What do you care, Rear Admiral? (laughs) But as a matter of general information, it's ages from 17 to 35. I'll pass the word to my guest this afternoon, Doctor. Thank you, my dear. And say, if you're not doing anything later, McGee, you might drop down to the armory. I'd like the new recruits to get a look at your physique. Well, okay, Doc. Sort of an example for the boys, eh? Yes, yeah. I want to show them what they'll look like if they don't keep up their training. Bonjour, <laughs> well, eyes, children. Come on, McGee. we got to get this thing out of here so I can put the room back together again. Yeah, maybe I can drag it in the dining room and work on it in there. Gosh, this thing weighs a ton. I can't even budge it. Well, try standing on the outside of it. You're standing in the boat. Huh? Oh, well, even so, I don't think I can... Hello, folks. My name's Wilcox, and I... Hey, that's quite a boat you've got there, pal. Yeah, hey, do you know anything about life rafts, Junior? Just enough to stay away from them. What makes that other end so much higher? Uh, the piano is under that. <laughs> hey, by the way, Omaha... Yeah? Look... I've been wanting to ask you something about that radio show you do on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. You know, where you get four million dollars in a box of does if you let him squirt you in the face with a fire hose and run over you with a streetcar. Oh, you mean uh, Ralph Edwards or Consequences? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. What about it, pal? Tell me something. Who is Miss Hush? McGee, now you have no right well. to ask him. Besides, I don't know, pal. Honestly. Only two people know for sure, and I'm not one of them. Come on, Junie, now don't get cagey with me, boy. One guess, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, huh? Is it John's other wife? She's got a second for Santa Claus. <laughs> Don't be silly, McGee. Huh? In the first place, Mr. Wilcox doesn't know, and besides, it's Miss Hush. Uh, look, pal, they wouldn't dare tell me who it is before the contest is over. You know how gabby I am. Mm-hmm. Well, I just thought I'd try, Omaha. I'm sorry now. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you sure you don't know how to collapse one of these life rafts? I don't know a darn thing about them, really. Except for my suggestion to the War Department years ago. What did you suggest to the War Department, Mr. Wilcox? Well, I suggested that they put a small container of Johnson's wax in every life raft, along with the water and food and emergency what stuff. They what for? Well, my idea was that all over the world, these rafts would carry Johnson's wax to the the farthest corners of the globe. Yeah, because why? Because Johnson's Wax is the very symbol of civilization. Yeah, but what Johnson's is... Wax stands for cleanliness and hospitality and labor saving. Yeah, but... I just thought that Johnson's Wax was so thoroughly American and represented such a fine way of life that it should be sent every place. Oh, I'm afraid that idea is not basically sound, Mr. Wilcox. But you because... see what I mean? Johnson's Wax is so connected with home and family and good living. The way it protects and beautifies your possessions. Yeah, but... Floors, furniture, woodwork, enamel things, windowsills. Yeah. And gives a shield of protection to which dust and dirt can't cling. Yes, yes, and besides yes, 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 that, yes, yes, we well, heard you say that, Wesley. We heard that. But that don't help me get this dad-ratted rubber schooner out of here. What would you suggest? Pal, you've got me. I either got to deflate this thing or chop the floor out and take it out through the basement. That's quite a problem, all right. Hey, I got it. Yes? Yes, look. Here's a terrific idea. Build another floor on the top of the raft. Oh. <laughs> Nobody will ever know it's here. Oh. It'll make a very low ceiling, of course, but otherwise I think it'll... Uh, waxy. Yeah? Go home. Okay, goodbye, Molly. Bye, Mr. wasn't much help, was he? He just wanted something new he could use wax on. Now, let me see. Say, McGee, uh, why don't you call the surplus store and ask the man you bought this from? 
Ask him how to deflate it. I can't. It's Armistice Day. The store closed at noon. You mean I've got to have... Come in. Hello there, kids. How's every little... Well, looks like my old trouble is back. I'm, I'm seeing things again. Hey, uh, Johnny, you there? Why, sure, I'm here, old-timer. You there, daughter? You're looking right at me, Mr. Old-timer. Well, that's mighty welcome news, kids. When I come in the door, I swear to see you both sitting in a life raft. <laughs> a life raft? In our living room? Yeah. <laughs> big, long, ugly thing, big enough for 16 men. <laughs> sure, give me a start. What are you sitting on, kids? <laughs> here on the sofa. I'm at the piano playing Rachmaninoff's prelude in B-sharp major for the left foot. <laughs> you, uh, you ain't both sitting in a big rubber boat? Why, how ridiculous. Why, Jask, old-timer? The doctor told me this would happen if I didn't quit worrying about them long skirts. <laughs> he told me I'd throw my system all out of gear and I'd done it. <laughs> Well, don't worry about it, Mr. Oldtimer. This is a life raft. It is? Yeah. Got it at the Army Surplus Store, Oldtimer. Inflated it semi-inadvertently. Now I don't know how to disunflate it. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither, Johnny, but I got a cousin in the government. I could send him a wire. Navy Department? Nope. State Department, daughter. Quite a big fella down there, too. Started out as a farm boy, like me. Went right to the top, naturally. Very interesting, Oldtimer. Why should a farm boy be such a good diplomat? Well, the way I got it figured, Johnny, it's this way. Yeah? The way I got it figured, a farmer kid knows his onions. Mm -hmm. He avoids people that act reddish. He makes hay while the sun shines. He ain't out to make a lot of cabbage. If he scores a bee, he knows he'll be in a pickle if he spills the beans of some beautiful tomato. <laughs> well, I'll wire him right away, kids. Let you know what he says. See you later. <laughs> And save the bones for Henry Jones. Henry Jones makes no bones about his peculiarity. He's peculiar. To be sure, he's an epicure to an extraordinary degree. He eats corn cobs, bottle caps, oyster shells, tea bags. Here's a man you want to see. Oh, tonight we'll have a supper and eat some food that's rare. Then up at the head of the table, we'll place Brother Henry's chair. Invite all the local big dogs. We'll laugh and talk and eat. But save the bones for Henry Jones, cause Henry don't eat no meat. Oh, today we'll go to market and buy a lot of fish. That will be a thrill for old Henry, because that's his favorite dish. Fish! Get a big bucket of molasses. So we'll have something sweet, but save the bones for Henry Jones, cause Henry don't eat no meat. Now, Henry was never a drinking man. He rarely takes a nip, and he don't use no serviette, cause the things he eats don't rip. One day we had a banquet, it really was a big. We started it off with some short ribs. And all finished up with cake. But when the feast was over, Brother Henry just kept his seat. And we served the bones to Henry Jones, cause Henry don't eat no meat. He's a handy man to have about. You never have to throw anything out, just save the bones. 
guess I don't need to tell you that the easy way to have a really bright kitchen floor is to use Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. You and all your friends are familiar with this old family favorite. Glow coat is far and away the most popular floor polish. But here's something you may not know. The famous glow coat shine is now brighter than ever. Without rubbing or bluffing, Johnson's glow coat now gives your kitchen floor nearly twice as much shine as before. Colors come gay and bright. The pattern stands out clear and fresh. And listen to this. The same shining coat of wax that makes your floor so beautiful saves you hours of housework. Dirt and spilled things wipe up just like that. Why, Johnson's glow coat even saves you money because it keeps your linoleum good-looking many years longer. Try it and see. Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. There's nothing else like it to bring out the beauty of the home. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of the home. My guests are all gone. Okay, I've been working on the boat out in the garage, Molly. I put a tire patch on it where you knifed it, and it's just as good as new. I'm going to blow it up again, and we... Oh, good. I'll help you this time. You you will? Oh, I'd love to. Let's take it out in the country, put some dynamite under it, and blow it up once and for all. <laughs> Did you say something? Yeah. Good night. Oh. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Products, the home and industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Now it's our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. many other single young women, our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, has often dreamed of having someone with whom to share a home as well as her joys and sorrows. Sometimes, though, the realization doesn't quite seem like the dream. How true that is. Although I now have someone with whom to share a home as well as my joys and sorrows, the person in my dream is built much differently than my landlady, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> But she's a sweet old soul, and she'll just have to do until someone tall, dark, and Mr. Boynton comes along. <laughs> Last Thursday at breakfast, I had reason to feel that I might become a permanent tenant. But before I could air my complaints, Mrs. Davis mentioned something that was on her mind. Wasn't that a terrible storm last night, Connie? I hardly slept a wink. Me either, Mrs. Davis. In fact, I was soaked to the skin. Oh, that's too bad, dear. Why didn't you carry an umbrella with you? I don't know. I'm eccentric, I guess. I haven't taken an umbrella to bed with me in years. <laughs> to bed with you? Your room is right under the leak in our roof, isn't it? Frankly, dear, I intended covering that roof with the rent money you owe me. <laughs> Wouldn't the rain soak right through it? Oh, you mean you could get the roof repaired if I pay what I owe? Exactly. With your five weeks back rent, I can get the entire roof done over. Oh, but I haven't got that much, Mrs. Davis. Well, how much can you afford? Enough for a cheap sponge. <laughs> but couldn't we discuss the rent after I've finished this oatmeal? Frankly, I'm in something of a mess again. Well, it's your own fault, dear. You should sit closer to the table when you eat. <laughs> 
no, that's not what I had in mind. It's got to do with Mr. Conklin. Our beloved principal is seriously considering discontinuing football at Madison. Really? And since when have you been so vitally interested in football? Why, Mrs. Davis, how could I fail to be vitally interested in the sport that teaches young men sportsmanship, builds their competitive spirit, demonstrates the value of cooperative effort? Oh, of course. You go to the game every Saturday with Mr. Boynton. That covers it very neatly. (laughs) Why is Mr. Conklin thinking of canceling football? Because of a few minor injuries that some finicky parents have complained about. It all came to a head last Saturday. In the game with Oakhurst, our quarterback was tripped and suffered a sprained ankle. Then there were four bloody noses on our team. Four bloody noses? How did that happen? In the fight over the sprained ankle. (laughs) Well, I'd better get ready to leave now. Mr. Boynton's picking me up this morning instead of Walter Denton. Oh, come, Connie. Mr. Boynton's got a brand new used car to try out today. If he likes it, the dealer says he'll give him a good buy on it. Well, that's an interesting development. If he does buy it, you may have a brand new chauffeur to drive you to school every day. Not so loud, Mrs. Davis. You'll put the whammy on it. Well, Miss Brooks, how do you like her? Fine, Mr. Barton. It's a very nice car. Well, of course, it isn't the most flashy automobile in the world, but, but tell the truth. Have you ever heard a motor like this one? Not since I was a child. <laughs> that is, I'm sure it'll be perfect transportation, and after all, that's what you... Why, Mr. Boynton. What's the matter, Miss Brooks? Oh, <laughs> one of the springs came through the upholstery right next to it. goes the shortest daydream I've ever had. <laughs> I'd better shove this spring back down. Ooh. Why, Mr. Boynton, how tall you are. <laughs> One of those darn springs came up under me. Uh, press on my shoulders, will you, Miss Brooks? Oh, with pleasure. There you go, Mr. Boynton. How's that? Oh, fine. Thanks. Say... What do you think of Mr. Conklin's attitude toward football this season? Oh, I think it's deplorable. Making all that fuss over a few slight bruises. According to Walter Denton, Mr. Conklin says if there's one more injury to a football player, he's canceling the sport for the remainder of the year. Just think what that would mean to the kids on the team. Not to mention the student body. Not to mention the teachers. I don't know what I'd do with my Saturdays if there weren't any football games. Me either. Oh, uh, Miss Brooks. Yes, Mr. Barton? You can take your arms off my shoulders now. I'm down. What? Oh, that's where I left them. (laughs) I wondered why my lap felt so light. Wasn't that Mr. Boynton who just dropped you in front of school? Like a hot potato. That is, he's finding a place to park. Oh, I'm waiting for my love boat, too. Walter Denton? Yeah. He sailed into Daddy's office about 30 seconds ago. Then you should only have about 30 to wait until he comes sailing out. 
Oh, I think Daddy will give him a break this morning. The storm raised half the roof off our house last night, and Daddy called Walter and had him bring over some of the kids in shop class to begin repairing it. But, Harriet, wouldn't the authorities frown on your father, drafting student labor to fix his personal property? Who'd tell on him? I withdraw the question. <laughs> What's Walter doing in his office now? He's trying to talk Daddy into changing his mind about canceling football. As manager of the team, Walter's got a lot at stake. He's not the only one. I wish I knew how he was doing in there. That's my final decision, Denton. Now get out and stay out! <laughs> that sounds promising. Don't worry, Walter. You tried your best. What did Mr. Conklin say before you parted company, Walter? It's not fit for ladies' ears. Uh, you mean the edict, Sam? Yeah, as of yesterday at 3 o'clock, if any player's injured on the football field, from that time forward, the sport is discontinued. Well, cheer up, Walter. Maybe there won't be any more injuries. That's right. Why well, look on the gloomy side of things? After all, wait a minute. Isn't that Madison Star fullback Stretch Snodgrass limping toward us? Limping toward us? Limping tortoise? Motion carried, he's limping tortoise. <laughs> hey, he's badly hurt. He looks like he's in pain. Oh, just don't be ridiculous, Miss Brooks. That's just an expression he wears because he's not overly bright. <laughs> Hi, Stretch. What's the matter with you? Hi, Harriet. I think I tore a lingaman. A lingaman? That's right, Miss Brooks. It's either a lingaman or a tendonton. <laughs> Oh, I hope it isn't causing you too much pain. Daddy Stretch, how did it happen? And when? This morning at early football practice. That does it. Tear down the grandstand. Well, just a minute. Are you sure you've hurt your leg badly, Stretch? Oh, look at my ankle. Under the bandage, it's twice the size it usually is. I ought to go home and rest his foot if I'm going to play any more ball this month. But, Stretch, if Daddy hears about this, nobody will play any more ball any month. I don't understand. As your English teacher, Stretch, perhaps I can clarify Harriet's statement for you. What she meant was that if Mr. Conklin hears about your injury, nobody will play no more ball no month, no harm. Well, we managed to keep Stretch Snodgrass hidden all morning. And by noon, the Board of Strategy hit upon a plan that we hoped would keep our beloved principal from enforcing his ban on football, even if he did discover Stretch's injury. The plan started when I delivered his lunch tray to Mr. Conklin. When he saw me standing before him in his office, his reaction was immediate. Ah! <laughs> Why are you bringing my lunch today? If it'll put your mind at ease, I'll taste everything first. <laughs> I don't think Please, Mr. Conklin, all I want All you want is to apply a thin coating of oil to me Before making some outlandish request or other I've had this treatment from you too often in the past, Miss Brooks Not to recognize it when it starts uh, But, sir I saw that lame-brained Denton mooning around this morning and I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he had prevailed upon you to ask me to reconsider my edict to banish football in the event of another injury. Wouldn't you be even a little surprised? I mean, you shouldn't get upset, Mr. Conklin. How can I help getting upset? Nobody understands my position. 
When a boy is injured playing football, who gets the blame? The opposing team? No. No. Do they blame the coach? No. No. They blame one person and one person only. You. And you know who that person is? You. I'll tell you who it is, Miss Brooks. You. It's me, that's who it is. <laughs> you? blood pressure. This aggravation is very bad for your digestion. Never mind my digestion. These harassments from parents must cease once and for all. Please, sir, stop pounding your desk like that. Look, you never noticed the nice pie I brought you. It's, it's deep dish apple pie, Miss Conklin. Go ahead, eat it right now. Don't tell me to stop pounding my desk. I'll pound it as much as I like. <laughs> And I'll eat this apple sauce when I'm ready. All I was trying to tell you, Miss Conklin, was that I agree wholeheartedly with your stand in this matter. You mean you concur in my opinion that football should be abolished after the next accident? Even before. What do you care what some people say your real motives are? Well, I'm glad you agree that what some people say my real motives are... Who impugned my motives, Miss Brooks? Oh, please, sir. Surely a gentleman like yourself wouldn't take stock in any remarks that a rival principal like Jason Brill might make. Jason Brill? What did he say? <laughs> oh, it was just a chance meeting, Mr. Conklin. It was something about your canceling football, not because of injuries, but because you were afraid of the beating Madison would take from his Clay City boys. So that's what he thinks. Is that all he said, Miss Brooks? Well, frankly, sir, I didn't want to stand around after he referred to you as a scared rabbit. Brill referred to me as a scared rabbit? Well, no, those weren't his exact words, Miss Conklin, but due to your high-strung temperament, I thought it best to substitute scared rabbit for lily-livered lout. <laughs> what? Show him who's a who's a, a scared rabbit. <laughs> I'll make him a wager right now that Madison High can field eleven batted substitutes and make his Clay City Oves look like look like Miss Brooks. Just when did you encounter Mister Brill? When? Uh. Oh, uh, we met last night on our way out of the movies. That's why the conversation was so fresh in my memory. Last night. Uh... Well, now I know you had an ulterior purpose in coming into my office. It just so happens, Miss Butinsky, that Jason Brill and I spent all of last evening at a special meeting called by the board. It was a great fight, Mom. I'll be home early. <laughs> Miss Brooks, can I talk to you for a minute before you go into your class? Certainly, Walter. Well, how'd you make out with old Marblehead? How, how's your meeting with Mr. Conklin? Well, I wouldn't call it eminently satisfactory, Walter. 
Oh, what would you call it? A flop. <laughs> he spent last night at the board meeting with Mr. Brill, so the story backfired. We're on borrowed time, Walter. Even if he doesn't find out about the injury today, he'll hear about it from Stretch's mother tomorrow. Yeah, it looks pretty hopeless. Oh, gosh, if only Stretch didn't get himself clobbered on the football field. Now, that's what Mr. Conklin's making such a big stink... Oh, wait a minute, Walter. You've just given me an idea. If Stretch had an accident, just a teeny one, mind you, say, in a car, Mr. Conklin couldn't blame it on football at all. Oh, you mean we tell Stretch to keep his mouth shut... And then we take him home this afternoon, and on the way we fake a crash, and he limps out of it with a sprained ankle? Walter, you're a natural-born conspirator. (laughs) Thanks. Want to use my car? No, that might make Mr. Conklin suspicious. I'll get the keys to the car Mr. Boynton's trying out. That looks like it's been in an accident already. (laughs) Of course, we mustn't tell Mr. Boynton why we want it. As a teacher, his code of ethics wouldn't permit him to join in such a plot. Oh, what about you? You're a teacher. Yeah. I'll <laughs> see you in the parking lot right after school. Uh, you better get in back, Stretch, old boy. Uh, here, uh, let me give you a hand. Thanks, Walter. Uh, just a minute, Stretch. Roll your trouser leg down over that bandage. We don't want anybody to see your hurt before we take you home. Yeah, I'll do it. Ah, oh, there we are. Now, in you go. Okay. Yeah, I'll sit in back with you, pal. Now, let's go, Miss Brooks. Uh, before we do, Walter, have you explained the details of our little plan to stretch? Oh, well, there wasn't much time after our last class, Miss Brooks, so I just gave him a sort of a cursory briefing. I see. What did Walter tell you, Stretch? Well, it's like he says, Miss Brooks. He just cursed me briefly. <laughs> Well, it doesn't matter, as long as we get you home without anybody to be continued. Hello, Mr. Conklin. Miss Brooks, are you about to drive somewhere? A drive? Yes, sir. I was about to give Walter and Stretch a ride home. But doesn't Walter drive his own car? Yes, Yes, but but I lent it to a friend. (laughs) What's that? I mean, mean, it's in the shop today. What is all this, anyway? Well, they're just giving me a lift home, Mr. Conklin. I see. Why aren't you on the field practicing, Snodgrass? You're Madison's best fullback, aren't you? Oh, he's a little overtrained, Mr. Conklin. The coach thought he ought to let up for a few days. Besides, Stretch's father owns a pet shop, you know, and he needs his help very badly today. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> now, if you'll excuse us, Mr. Conklin. Not so fast, young woman. I was about to suggest that since my wife and daughter are using our car for some shopping today, I would like to ride along home with you. Oh, with us? Oh, but Mr. Conklin, you'd be very uncomfortable jammed in here with us. Uh, This is a six-passenger car, Miss Brooks, and I can only count three heads in it so far. Are you sure you've counted all of Stretch's? I mean, there's no use in our sitting on top of each other. What do you mean, on top of each other? I'll sit in front with you, Miss Brooks, and the boys can remain where they are. Uh, But, sir... After you, Miss Brooks. They certainly are. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Conklin. Ah, well, it's a lovely day for a ride, isn't it? Yes, it was, isn't it? (laughs) 
Oh, dear, I'm supposed to turn here. Look, look, look out. Look out. You almost drove up on that curb. But don't worry, Miss Conklin. I'll make it next time. <laughs> I, I'm a little nervous today. I guess it's because I'm not used to this car. Let's see now. I'd better pull over to the side and test the emergency brake. All ready and back? Yeah, all set, Miss Brooks. What, what, what are you doing? Watch out for that hydrant, Miss Brooks. What? Well, the brakes certainly work all right. You hardly touch that hydrant. Stretch, speak to me. It's me, Stretch, your old pal Walter. He's still conscious, Stretch. Is he still what? Poor kid, he's been hurt. Hurt? But we barely nudged that hydrant. You want to help me get him out of the car, Miss Brooks? Right, Walter. Now tell me, where did it get you, Stretch? It was your leg, wasn't it? Yeah, my leg. Yeah, well, try to walk on it. Let's see if it'll support you. What's going on here? <laughs> oh, it hurts. Look at me, everybody. Oh, I'm limping. Look at me. Yeah, look at him. <laughs> but what happened to your leg? I think I pulled a tendon. <laughs> uh, which leg is it, Stretch? My right one. I can hardly walk on it. Oh, but this is absurd. You couldn't possibly have hurt your leg in such a slight collision. Oh, I couldn't, huh? Just a minute, Mr. Conklin. There. If my leg ain't hurt, then what is that bandage doing on it? <laughs> You mean your leg was bandaged before the accident? Of course. He's driven with me before. I know the reason for all this chicanery. Snodgrass must have sprained his ankle in football practice this morning. And since my edict was issued yesterday afternoon... Football is hereby abolished at Madison High School. Oh, but, Mr. Conklin, you don't know that he hurt his ankle in practice. It could have happened anywhere. Why, it even could have happened when Stretch fell off your roof while helping repair it this morning. What do you mean, could have happened? That's exactly how Stretch did sprain his ankle. He did? I did? Of course you did. And Walter was there to watch you bounce, weren't you, Walter? <laughs> it was pitiful. <laughs> Anybody has done so far. Mr. Conklin, is it or is it not against the board rules to conscript student labor for a private enterprise off school property? It's like this, Your Honor. What the board doesn't know won't hurt them. But if they find out... And who, may I ask, would tell them? Me. What? But that's... That's blackmail. Of course, we're pretty broad-minded about human failings. If, for instance, Mr. Conklin were to admit that he made a mistake with his football ban, we'd forget the whole thing, wouldn't we, fellas? The ban stands. Osgood Conklin never makes a mistake. Walter, you're the editor of the Madison Monitor, right? Right. Oh, I can see the headline now. 
star fullback injured and fall from principal's roof. And how about the subhead? Eyewitnesses claim youth was tripped by Prexy. Tripped? Tripped? Look, look, let's talk this thing over. Anybody can make a mistake. Perhaps I was a bit hasty. Football is hereby restored to Madison High School. Oh, hot dog! Miss Brooks, you've done it again. Oh, please, Stretch, I did it again. I don't blame you for bragging. <laughs> hey, Miss Brooks, we've got to reciprocate. I'm going to get the shop class to repair the roof over your room tomorrow. Oh, that's very kind of you, Walter. But at lunch today, Mr. Boynton promised he'd work on it tonight. You see, it's worn down pretty thin and it's quite shaky. Oh, you mean there's danger of Mr. Boynton falling right through? Well, I can't be positive, but let's keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> well, later that night, much to my surprise, Mr. Boynton actually went to work on the roof. And as he repaired it, I sat up there with him and told him the entire story of how we had fooled Mr. Conklin that afternoon. Yes, that is quite a story, Miss Brooks. When all seemed lost, Walter thought up the idea that Stretch hurt his ankle falling off Mr. Conklin's roof, huh? Right. And then I told him it's against the board rules to conscript student labor for a private enterprise off school property. Now, do you understand? Yes, it uh, certainly explains everything. Well, don't feel too bad, Mr. Boynton. This has been one of the nicest evenings we've ever spent on Mr. Conklin's roof. Starring Eve Arden, transcribed, was produced and directed by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis and Arthur Allsberg, with the music of Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Bob Rockwell, Gloria McMillan, and Leonard Smith. Eve Arden, in the role of Madison High School's favorite English teacher, Miss Brooks, will again call the student body together. Don't you be absent. Our Miss Brooks is presented each week through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is milk. M-I-L-K. Really? You bet your life! DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Anybody got a dime for a cup of coffee? Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx! Thank you. Well, here I am again with $1,500 for one of our couples tonight. George Fenneman, who's face to try for? A couple about to be married, Groucho. They were selected by our studio audience just before we went on the air. And here they are, Miss Marie Fortin and Mr. Harry Chauze. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers, youngsters. And if one of you says the secret word, he wins $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you'll uh, find around the house. Mary uh, Fortin, is that... Fortin. Uh... Fortin. <laughs> Harry uh, Chaussey, is that right? Chaussey. Chaussey. Huh? Where are you from, Harry? I'm from Salix, Iowa. Where's that? Uh, near? Any place? Oh, next Sioux City. <laughs> Why did you leave your hometown there, Harry? I would have come out to the West. Well, was it a good move when you left? Oh, I think so. I met Marie by coming out here. Well, answer my question. Was it a good move? When you left? <laughs> I made a mistake when I left my hometown. If I hadn't made the mistake, I wouldn't have had to leave. <laughs> so you two are going to get hooked up, huh? Yeah. Well, that's very nice. Huh? What kind of work do you do, Harry? I'm a machinist in Arabian American Oil Company, Saudi Arabia. You going over there, over there? Yes, we're going back over there. How did you meet Superman here, uh, Marie? Well, I met him in the first grade. We went to school together. <laughs> And never had another fellow from the first grade up to now? Oh, yes. <laughs> you just took him as a last resort? Is that it? <laughs> what, what about you, Harry? Have you had any other girls in the uh, interim between the first grade and Arabia? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most lying laugh I've ever heard. <laughs> Did she accept you immediately after you worked up enough courage to propose, uh, Harry? No, not right away. You had to squeeze it out of her, huh? <laughs> you remember the circumstances of his big love scene, Marie? Well, he took me dancing to various places around the city. And, uh, well, he didn't ask me to marry him. He asked me if I wanted to go to Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> Me, a roundabout proposal, if I ever heard of it. <laughs> Driving, I must try that sometime. Driving with a guy on the car, and you say, I'd like to go to Arabia. Huh? <laughs> and? What is there about Romeo that caused you to fall in love with him? Oh, his charming personality. <laughs> Could you give us an example of your face? <laughs> Just stood and grinned at her, eh? <laughs> Well, he seems like a very nice fellow, Marie. Now, what do you like about Marie, Harry? Mm, I guess it's her sense of humor. <laughs> she has a good sense of humor? How do you know? She always laughs at my jokes. <laughs> How do you know she's laughing at your jokes? 
How do you know it isn't a string on her corset that's tickling her? Huh? <laughs> Does that ever occur to you, Harry? Huh? I don't think she wears a corset. <laughs> you don't think she wears a corset? Huh? You're taking this girl all the way to Arabia and you're not sure whether she wears a corset? Well, you've aroused my curiosity. I'll never rest until I hear you tell a joke. Could you, uh, could you tell us a small joke? I don't believe I know any small ones. <laughs> well, tell us a wow, huh? Yeah. Did you ever hear the one about the fellow that played on the girls' basketball team? Oh, that's pretty good. I like that, huh? <laughs> Is that the sort of thing you laugh at, Marie? You're supposed to say, how, how can a fellow play on a girls' basketball team? Oh, I see there's more to it, huh? <laughs> okay, how can a fella play on a girl's basketball team? He lied about his age. <laughs> That'll certainly kill him in Arabia, then. <laughs> Are you going to be the jealous type of wife, Marie? No, I don't think so. You won't mind if he steps out with another gal occasionally, yeah? Oh, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> Suppose you're sitting home all alone and uh, Harry is waking late at the office. You're watching the television matches on the uh, machine. Uh. <laughs> and suddenly you see Harry in the first row at the wrestling matches with a beautiful babe. What would you do? Well, that's impossible. <laughs> Why is it impossible? <laughs> We don't have television. <laughs> this is beginning to sound like Bynes and Allen. <laughs> Marie, forget the television set. Suppose Harry's waking late and you go over to the Palladium and there's Harry dancing with a pretty blonde. What would you do? Oh, I'd walk up to him and ask him to explain. <laughs> well, that's very logical. There's only one thing that puzzles me. What are you doing at the Palladium while he's... <laughs> well, you're both very nice kids, and inasmuch as you'll soon be married, in just one minute, you're going to have a chance to make $1,500. Yes, tomorrow is a great day at all DeSoto Plymouth dealers. The brilliant new DeSoto is now on display. And the Great Plymouth goes on display for the first time tomorrow. The Great New Plymouth is a sensational new high for value in the low-priced field. But you be the judge. Look at it. Then climb into it and get the feel of this car. Put it up hills and through traffic. Give it the toughest tests you know. And as for value, you'll find this good-looking royal riding car is packed with value and ready to prove it. Ignition key starting. Improved air pillow ride, the quick true stops of safeguard hydraulic brakes, the lively power of the high compression engine, and many other features exclusive with a great new Plymouth. Now, more than ever, Plymouth is the car that likes to be compared. For beautiful new styling, for roomy comfort, for easy riding and wonderful handling, for dollar for dollar value. So meet your new Plymouth, the American beauty, tomorrow at your DeSoto Plymouth dealers.
Steve, a couple of youngsters about to be married are going to get the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question. Fenneman, explain the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $1,500 DeSoto Plymouth question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in the waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected initials of organizations as your category. Is that right? Here's your first question. You have $20. How much are you going to risk? $5. What educational organization do the initials PTA stand for? Parent-Teacher Association. That's right. Parent-Teachers Association. Well, they're on their way, Groucho. They have $25. Ah, you swing along. You got $25. How much of the $25 are you going to try? Ten. What government body does AEC stand for? Atomic Energy Commission. Well, you're just wonderful, Marie. Huh? They're climbing now, Groucho. They have $35. Here's your third question. You got 35 How much are you going to try? Fifteen. Fifteen. $15. For what informative organization do the initials I-N-S stand for? I-N-S. Take a stab. I don't believe I know that. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's uh, International News Service. They now have $20, Groucho. All right, you now got $20. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 20 are you going to try now? 20 What labor organization do the initial CIO stand for? Congressional Industrial Organization. That's close enough. Congress of Industrial Organizations. This is close enough. And they wind up with a total of $40. <laughs> Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, don't sneak off to Arabia yet. You still might get the chance at the big question. Groucho, the, yes, secret, George? the secret word is still milk. Perhaps our next couple will say it. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a house mover, Mr. Ab Wilson, and his partner is a housewife, Mrs. Pat Johnson. And here they are, folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to You Bet Your Life. And if one of you says the secret word, he wins $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. A house mover and a, and a housewife, eh? Mrs. Uh, Johnson, eh? I'll, I'll bet you're the housewife. Is, is that right? That's right. <laughs> and where are you from, Mrs. Johnson? I'm from Denver, Colorado. You must be the house mover, eh? Yeah, I'm the house mover. I'm the big boy. <laughs> Ab, Ab Wilson? is That's uh, right. What does Ab stand for? Is that Abe? It's Ab. That's uh, Ab. You well, I never heard that name. Is that a, a derivative of Abe or uh, yeah. Abner or what? Uh, well, I guess it would be, you know... You take a house mover, they, the less material you have, the better off you are, you know. <laughs> what, what is a house mover? Do you move houses? Or? Yes, sir. You move whole houses? Whole houses, yes, sir. Where are you from, Ab? Waxahachie, Texas. Waxahachie, is that near Nacogdoches? <laughs> what is the biggest uh, hazard in your profession? Is it housemaid's knee? <laughs> well, no, it's... Uh... And going over, up or down a hill, you know, and get break loose, you know, and get away. And what do you do when they break loose? You stand there with your fingers in your ears and your no. eyes closed? <laughs> what happens to the occupants uh, when you move a house? Do they just pitch a tent by the side of the road and uh, well, no, until no, you're through? No, they can live right on in the house. It's... <laughs> Suppose they're moving in a house and the husband is still in the, in the bathtub. Well, take him right along. You don't spill no water. <laughs> He might step right out of the tub into the lobby of the Biltmore Hotel. <laughs> How long have you been moving houses? About 40 years. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you move any building? Yes, sir. 
Could you move the Empire State well, Building if, in Chicago? I could if it wasn't for the wind. You could move the Empire State Building in Chicago? If it wasn't for the wind, yes. Wouldn't be easy, you know. It's in New York, the building. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't be a little windy. Well, I suppose many unusual things happen to you oh, in your business. Oh, oh yes. Could, yes you, uh, could you remember any outstanding experience well, that you care to relate? Uh, no more than I got to move to the wrong house on the... I have on the wrong lot, you know. Robert, what was that, you? I could move the house on the wrong lot. Not exactly the wrong lot. I just got the wrong house on the, uh, on the, house on the wrong lot. See? What do you mean? You moved the lot over to the wrong house? <laughs> the wrong lot. Then I had to get it off before the man caught me, you know. Let's start over again, huh? Okay. Could you move the Empire State Building in Chicago? Good if it wasn't for the wind. Even though it's in Cleveland? <laughs> well, thanks to you, Eb. I know all about house moving. Okay, now you two are going you. to get a chance to play your bet your life for $1,500. You run your $20 no more than the other couples, and you get a chance at the Big DeSoto Plymouth question later. Fenneman's offstage remind our listeners how much the first couple won. The couple about to be married won $40. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. You selected famous dogs as your category. Is that right? Now, here's your first question. You have $20. How much do you want to bet? And talk right up. $10. Okay. What's the name of the famous collie dog that stars in motion pictures? Uh, let's see. Scotty. Uh, is that... Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. The answer is Lassie. They now have $10. How much of the $10 will you try? Five. What's the name of Blondie and Dagwood's dog? Well, I'm sorry, it's well, Daisy. Well, I wanted nursery rhymes, but oh. then it had already been taken. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, that's a shame. They now have five dollars, Groucho. Well, you've only got five dollars, and here's your third question. How much of the five will you try? Three. What's the name of Mickey Mouse's dog? Do you know? Don't they have any dogs in Denver? <laughs> the dog's name is Pluto. They now have two dollars, Groucho. Well, now you're only down to two dollars. How much of the two dollars are you going to try? One dollar, I guess. One dollar. All right. What's the name of the late President Roosevelt's... Of, the, of late President Roosevelt's little Scotty? Now, that's been the papers for a long time. Well, I, I'm sorry. It's Fella. I'm going to give you one more chance to make some money. It's not going to be uh, so easy. So think hard now and no help, please. Who is buried in Grant's tomb? Grant. General Grant is right. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, it won't be long before we know who's going to earn the chance at the $1,500 DeSoto Plymouth question. George, who's leading at this point? The young couple are ahead with $40, and the secret word is still milk. Just before we went on the air, we went looking through our studio audience for the parents of the most children. And here come the mother and the father who were chosen. Mr. and Mrs. Marion D. Story meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, youngsters, for the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. <laughs> And if you say the secret word, you win a hundred bucks in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Mr. and Mrs. Marion D. Story. Marion? Which one of you is Marion? Oh, I am. I thought you were already married. Uh... <laughs> well, that was a whirlwind courtship. <laughs> Mr. Story, your, your first name is, is Charlotte, is that right? That's right. Charlotte, huh? Where, where, where are you from, Charlotte? 
Uh, Bakersfield, California, about 100 miles north from here. Marion, what do you do for a living? I'm a sign painter. Sign painter, huh? How'd you meet Indian sign here, Charlotte? <laughs> oh, I met him on a boat. It was raining real hard this night. And uh, he uh, said, would you share your umbrella with me? And I said, sure. And so... Uh, <laughs> And so, That's uh, a pretty corny approach there, Mary. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> How long have you kids been married? 28 years. Well, you're a fine-looking couple. Now, Mr. Story, according to Fenneman, you two are up here because you're the parents of the largest family. Is, is that correct? Well, yes, I am. Except it is. You mean you only guess you have a large family? <laughs> No, I mean, haven't you counted the livestock lately? <laughs> so there's no question about the family. Uh, it's just a question why you're up here, huh? <laughs> Mr. Story, how many times have you been a mother? Twenty times. Is this really true? Twenty uh, children, Marion? That is true. Twenty. Just what she said. Yeah. Uh, apparently nothing's happened in the last few seconds, anyway. <laughs> well, uh, Mr. Story, my hat, if it was on, would now be off to you. You're a remarkable woman. Huh? Tell me, Popsicle, uh, when you see a lot of kids around your house, uh, how do you know if they're all yours? I remember faces. You never forget a face, eh? <laughs> Could you give us the names? Could you reel them off for me? Uh... Well, I'll start with the twins. There's Jean and Jane and Jimmy and Jeanette and Gary and Sherry and Eileen and Arlene. That's twins. Four sets of twins. There's two sets of uh, girl twins, and there's two sets of mixed twins. Mixed twins, yeah. Oh, and the others all goes by the name of Jean and Jane and Jack and Jacqueline and June and so on and so forth. <laughs> How old are the children, uh, Mrs. Story? Well, the oldest is uh, from 27 to 3 years old. Mm. Have you ever thought of adopting any children? No, it never occurred to me. <laughs> Tell me, Pop, with each new kid, do you go around passing out cigars? Well, I used to. I stopped at about a dozen. <laughs> what do you, you pass out yourself now, is that it? <laughs> well, tell me, Pop. Pop, that's the understatement of the year. Uh, Paul Bunyan. Uh, if you can't remember all the names, how do you know who to call when you want something? Uh, well, if I want one of the boys, I just say, son. Aren't you afraid of getting trampled in the rush? <laughs> now, what kind of living quarters do you have? The Hotel Bakersfield? No, we have uh, two acres. And we have a ten-room house and uh, two showers and a bath. And... and do you have a cop in the hallway directing traffic? <laughs> Well, with all these income tax deductions, uh, how do you make out around March 15th, Pop? 
Well, I haven't paid income tax for years. <laughs> You wouldn't want to loan me about eight kids, huh? <laughs> How do you manage to feed 20 kids? Uh, do you do it in shifts? Well, that's easy. I have a budget, and um, I buy everything wholesale. And, and <laughs> I start breakfast at 5 o'clock in the morning. I get all the working ones off to work, and then uh, I've got uh, 10, 10 to get off for school, and, and I got some home, and I finally get through about 7 o'clock at night, and then... What's your grocery bill amount to every week, uh, Charlotte? That's not it, too uh, uh, personal a question. Well, it runs to $100 a week. And, uh, Suppose the family's having lunch on Sunday. What would you ordinarily find on the table? Well, Besides a few of the children, huh? children are all there. Well, I'll take uh, Thanksgiving Day. Well, uh, we had uh, two 30-pound turkeys, and uh, we had 20 pounds of roast chicken, and... Uh, we had a gallon of mashed potatoes <laughs> and uh, 14 pumpkin pies and eight mince pies and six cranberry pies and gallons pie. of salads. And, <laughs> and what do you use for toothpicks, a redwood glass? <laughs> Marion, tell me, as the father of 20 kids, have you had any unusual or unforgettable experience? <laughs> I've had lots of unusual experiences. Uh, we were living in Sacramento, and coming into the hospital, we had to borrow our neighbor's car because ours was broken down. Should have had a DeSoto. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we came to the American River Bridge. We got to the first approach. Well, Mama says, take it easy, Pop. <laughs> had the car stopped and one baby was born. And I said, well, go ahead now. we we'll get to the hospital fast. So the driver got in. We started and we got to the other end of the bridge. Mama says, take it easy, Pop. That's why they call them suspension bridges. <laughs> what about you, Mrs. Story? Have you had an unusual experience? Well, uh, when Jerry was born... What number was he? Do you oh, he was number 12. Number 12. <laughs> I remember that very clearly. Well, I got you... out of the hospital and I went home. Well, there was uh, 11 down with the hooting cough and measles. Oh. So... Uh, you never realized that night when you were on the bay and it was raining and you had the umbrella that uh, all this was going to happen. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> well, that'll teach you, Mr. Story. Never carry an umbrella when it's raining. <laughs> well, it's, it's really been inspiring having you two here tonight. And, Mr. Story, you have every right to be the proudest mother in the country. Now, you're going to play the DeSoto-Plymouth game? You bet your life. If you beat our other two couples, you get a crack at the $1,500 question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is off stage to remind our listeners. The young engaged couple is still ahead with $40. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected nursery rhymes as your category. Is that right? And that's a subject you ought to know a great deal about. <laughs> you have $20, and how much are you going to try? Ten. 
Who called for his fiddle is three? Old King Cole. Old King Cole is right. <laughs> and they're on their way, Roger, with $30. All right, you got $30. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. How much of the 30 are you going to try? 25. 25. Who was asleep under the haystack when he should have been tending sheep? Come on, now. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a shame, but it was Little Boy Blue. Very easy to get confused on that. They now have $5. Oh, you're all the way down to $5. All right, now. Here's your third question. You got $5, and how much are you going to bet? $5. Who picked a peck of pickled pepper? Peter Piper. Peter Piper is right. <laughs> on the way again, they have $10. All right, now you got $10. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 10 are you going to bet? All of it. All right, who fell down the hill and broke his crown? Jack. Jack is right. And they wind up with $20. And that means the young engaged couple gets the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question. You've got to see it to believe it. You've got to drive it to appreciate it. Yes, that's the new Plymouth. The great new Plymouth that's packed with value and ready to prove it. Prove this to yourself tomorrow at your DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Let your dealer arrange a demonstration drive. Then compare. Compare the value in this great new car with that in other leading low-priced cars. Compare the new beauty and style, the easy riding and wonderful handling. The great engineering that makes it the low-priced car most like high-priced cars. Check the prompt convenience of Plymouth's ignition key starting, the flashing getaway power of the high-compression engine, the soft velvet stops of safeguard hydraulic brakes, the protection of safety rim wheels, and many other exclusive Plymouth features. Yes, check and compare. For beauty, for power, for room, for riding comfort. Plymouth, now more than ever, the car that likes to be compared. See this great new Plymouth, the American beauty, at your DeSoto Plymouth dealers tomorrow. And while you're there, don't miss seeing the brilliant new DeSoto as well. A car that's truly new, with new features from bumper to bumper. The finest car that has ever borne the name DeSoto. Learn why your DeSoto Plymouth dealer is so proud of the two superb cars he has on display. The great new Plymouth and the brilliant new DeSoto. couple all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question, Groucho. All right, here we go for $1,500. Ready? I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on one single answer between you, so think carefully and please, no assistance from the audience. Here it is. Frederick Augustus Bartholdi was a famous French sculptor. His best-known work is well-known to all of us. What is Bartholdi's great work? Statue of Liberty is right. That's right. You win $1,500. You had the right answer. What are you going to do with all that money? 
I'm going to give it all to Marie. <laughs> what out. do you want to do with it, Marie? I'll take care of it. Oh. <laughs> Congratulations from the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. Life is a John Goodell production, transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You'll Bet Your Life, presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget... Next week's big question will be worth $1,000. Well, it's almost time for the Bing Crosby Show, and tonight I understand his guest star will be that incomparable comedian of You Bet Your Life. Hey, that's me, Groucho Marx. See you again in a few minutes, folks, and remember... Just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Here's a tip from the National Safety Council. When you're in your car, be a wise driver, not a wise guy. This is George Fenlon signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast.